All right. Well, good morning and welcome to Trace. How are we doing this morning? Everybody doing good? Yeah, as you can see, we've got tons of progress that's happening at our new facility. The renovations are underway. And let me take a moment really quick and just say thank you for all of you that have been helping us with this renovation. For those of you that have participated in our ownership offering, we really could not do this without you. And I personally believe there's a Chick-fil-A in heaven with an extra chicken sandwich with your name on it when you get there. And so seriously, thank you. Can we give it up for everybody that's been helping with that? I do want to remind you that we're going to be moving into that new space in, on July 16th. Uh, so we got a few weeks away before we get there. Keep in mind, the renovations will not be done yet, but we're going to go ahead and move over there. It just made sense for, go, for us to go ahead and make the transition. Um, with that being said, I just kind of figured this out this past week. This is my last Sunday here. This is my last Sunday preaching from this particular stage, and I am a sentimental, a sentimental guy, and uh, I've been telling myself, don't cry, don't cry. But um, this is uh, surreal to me, guys. I really can't even explain it. Uh, a lot of you guys don't know this, but the church that I was a pastor of down in Arizona, we met in a school very much uh, like this, very similar to this, and I did that for five years. And so I have been doing church in a school for a long time. And so for us to get our own space uh, just means a lot. It's just God's favor and what he's doing in and through this church. And I say this all the time, and you're going to hear me say it a lot more. God has big plans for this church. And so uh, the reason that this is my last weekend here and me preaching from this stage is because after today, I'm going to be taking a two-week much-needed vacation. Emily and I are going to get back to Kentucky to see family. Her uh, parents are celebrating their 50th uh, wedding anniversary. Isn't that cool? That's incredible. And then I have a friend who used to work for me um, who's going to be getting married down in Florida. And so she's going to fly Emily and myself down there for, to stay on the beach so I can officiate their wedding. So uh, suffering for Jesus, guys, I'm telling you, it's just it's tough, it's tough times. Uh, but here's something I want to say. You know, something you've heard us talk about, if you've been coming here for any amount of time, is that we want to use this platform whoever's on this platform, and we want to make sure that we lead with transparency. And so if you're new here to Trace, just know that's a commitment that we make to you guys, that we want to lead from a spirit of transparency. And so with that being said, uh, I, need to, I need to confess something to you guys. For the last about eight weeks uh, or more, um, I've been cheating on my family. And I've been cheating on my family with the church. Uh, I've probably been working 70-hour weeks seven days a week, and even though I was justifying it by telling my wife and my kids, hey, this is just for a, a small amount of time, we got to get through this renovation, we got to work hard and make all this stuff happen, I justified a lot of my behavior because of this, but it started to take its toll. And one of my biggest commitments to you is that I will never give up on my first commitment to my family. And so um, I've always given Emily the opportunity that if things weren't going well or if things, something needed to change, that she has that opportunity to speak up, and she's been speaking up. And so we've had some hard conversations the last couple weeks where I've just listened. And just so you know, we're great. Like, our marriage is great. We've learned to do these things on the front end so they, they don't last a long time, and we have the hard conversations on the front end and make the necessary changes. And so our marriage is solid. You don't have to worry about that. Uh, but this vacation is a lot more than just much-needed time off. It's going to be an opportunity for me to um, spend some time with the Lord 
and think about new parameters and boundaries to put in place uh, once I come back. And so here's my request of you guys would be just praying for me and for us as we're gone for the next couple of weeks. And then when we get back, it'll be our first Sunday in the new facility, which is crazy. I still can't believe that. Um, but I would covet every one of those prayers. You know, with that being said, like this is not fair because we're always up here sharing our junk with you guys and we don't ever get to hear your junk. So can we just pass a microphone around real quick? Here, everybody's worth sin. Can we just make that happen? Really? I mean, that would be more fair, wouldn't it? Well, today we pick up in this series that we've been in for the last several weeks now called On the Move, and we've been observing over the last several weeks the beginning moments of the church. And we're watching all kinds of things transpire. It's been incredible, and all of this is captured in the book of Acts, and so if you're ever wondering, like, hey, how do I know how the church got started? How do I know... um, how this movement that we're a part of today, what you're a part of today by being in this room, like, how can I find out about that? Just go to the book of Acts. It's beautiful. It's one of the great things about scripture. We can go and we can learn about church history and how things got started. But I did make a comment last week I want to correct really quick. Last week I said the biggest movements, uh, actually I said the biggest moments for the church and um, the, the time where it accomplished probably more than any other time in history for the church. I said it was in the first 150 days, and I meant to say it's the first 150 years. The first 150 years of the church were when it made, uh, it made some of its biggest accomplishments in the last 2,000, approximately 2,000 years of existence. So here's some of the things that we've been covering so far. We've seen the apostles as they received the Holy Spirit. And after they receive the Holy Spirit, they begin to do signs and wonders and perform miracles. And guys, as you can imagine, again, we read this sometimes and we forget, like, this is not just a story we learn in Sunday school. This is actually taking place. And so imagine all the people around that are just beginning to hear the name of Jesus for the very first time. And then they're watching these guys that we call the apostles, this main group of leaders that were surrounding Jesus when he was alive. We're watching them do crazy things. And because we're watching them do crazy things, hundreds and thousands of people are converting to Christianity every single day. But one of the things that this causes is for the religious leaders of that day to get very uncomfortable. Because for them, as all these people are converting to Christianity, they're beginning to lose their power and control over the people. And they don't like this. And so they begin to persecute these early Christians. They begin beating them and whipping them. Some of them even getting flogged and thrown in jail. And they're just motivated that much more to continue to go out and tell people about Jesus. Because one of the things they said, as we covered a few weeks ago, who am I supposed to listen to? You, a man? Or am I supposed to listen to God? You can't tell us to shut up about Jesus. We cannot shut up about what we've seen and what we've experienced. And this, this lands us in Acts chapter 7 today. And in Acts chapter 7, we meet this guy named Stephen. And Stephen is one of these guys that can't help but say what he's feeling and thinking. Anybody got a friend like this? Like no matter how um, politically incorrect maybe it could be, it's like he's just going to say or she's just going to say whatever's on their mind. This is Stephen. And so Stephen has had enough of these religious leaders and their hypocrisy. And so he walks into one of their main meetings called the Sanhedrin. It would be like us walking into the middle of the Supreme Court. And Stephen just starts calling them out. Starts saying all the things that he's sick and tired of them doing. Stephen knows the scriptures, and so he's going back into the Old Testament, and he's talking about all the things that happened to the Old Testament that should help them realize that Jesus is who he says he is. But Stephen is fed up. And again, it'd be like us walking to the Supreme Court, looking at all the judges and saying, you guys are stupid. 
right? I mean, I don't know how well that would go over, but maybe sometimes we feel that way, but we still need to respect them. And guys, I guess if I were to sum it up, Stephen is just tired of the mess these guys have made. So much of what these religious leaders of his day have done is create a deterrent for people to actually come to know God because of their, their hypocrisy, because they keep talking about God with their lips, but their lives, it looks as if they don't even believe in him. We talked about that a little bit last week, this idea of Christian atheism. Yeah, we say we believe in God, but our life is not really representing any of that. And if I can make a side note on that particular comment, it's a big reason why people aren't coming to church today, right? I mean, your friends, your family members, your neighbors, people you know, people you may be invited to come here, they don't want to step foot in the church because of the mess that we often make of what Christianity is supposed to be. But that's not an excuse. Really, it's not an excuse for you or any of your friends to say, yeah, I'm just giving up on the church. It's an opportunity for us to actually try to course correct and start getting this right because we have everything we need. His name is Jesus. Well, this lands us in Acts chapter 8. And something that we see happen in Acts chapter 8 is as all these people are converting to Christianity, the apostles, this early group of main believers, the leaders, uh, they're getting overwhelmed by all the requests that are coming their way. Right? This happens in church sometimes, in ministry. People come to us, the pastors, and it's like, hey, you should, you should, you should. And one of the things we say is, don't tell me what, you know, don't should on me. We, you can't tell me what I'm supposed to do all the time. Um, and that happens. And so we have to delegate responsibilities. We want to equip you guys to actually do the ministry and not just expect the pastors to do that. Well, that's where the apostles are. It's like, man, we can't do all this ourselves. Thousands of people coming to know Jesus every single day. And so they begin to delegate. And one of the guys they delegate some responsibility to is a guy named Philip. And we meet Philip in Acts chapter 8. And Philip is one of those guys that's just awesome about talking to people about Jesus. You ever met one of these guys? I remember when I was in the sauna once, uh, when I was at the gym, I was in the sauna. That's kind of a weird way to start a story, but I was in the sauna. <laughs> and this guy comes in, and he was a veteran, I could tell. Uh, and he had a, a work dog, and the work dog was sitting outside the sauna. And this guy doesn't know me. doesn't know me from Adam. And um, I'm, I'm in there, and there's a couple other guys that come in. And I won't tell you what they're wearing or not wearing. That just gets weird. But he just starts talking about Jesus. And he's not being weird. He's just talking about the, the number one thing in his life. And he can't help but talk about him. And I'm just smiling. And I'm listening. I'm not about to tell him I'm a pastor because then people start getting weird around you when you say you're a pastor. And I'm just listening to this guy, and I'm watching the, I'm kind of observing these other guys, and he's like, yeah, guys, Jesus has just been, man, he's been rocking my world here recently. I'm going to go down to the vet center later, and I'm going to spend some time with the veterans, and man, those guys need to know Jesus. And I'm going to talk to him about Jesus, because holy, and I'm just like, I love this guy. I want him to be like a friend of mine. He was so natural in talking about Jesus. That's kind of who Philip is. And so in recent history, Philip actually uh, was given the name Philip the Evangelist. And I want to I show you a story and read a story with you this morning of Philip in action. It's Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Here's how it starts. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now time out. Anybody else wish an angel would just show up and tell you what to do? Now, I know sometimes people look at us in this position as pastors, and I guess we're like professional Christians or whatever it is that you think of us, and it's like, oh yeah, they know exactly what they're supposed to do and what God wants them to do, and it's like, no, I'm, I'm right there with you guys. 
I really am. Sometimes as much as I study about God and spend time with God and pray to God, I have no idea, no idea what he wants me to do. And so when I read this, it's like, God, that'd be awesome if you could just like send an angel and tell me what we're supposed to do. Maybe you've been there. In verse 27, pick up. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in a chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Now this I can identify a little bit more with. When the spirit says, I want you to go do something. And sometimes it's just a subtle hint. Just go stand over there. Maybe go ask that person a question. Maybe just go be available. And I've never heard from God audibly. And so when I say the Spirit, you know, gets my attention and speaks to me, it's usually through guiding my thoughts or helping everything else in my mind to go away for a moment so I can actually see somebody. We talk about this a lot here at Trace, this idea of not overlooking people to actually see the people that God's putting in front of your life. And oftentimes, the only thing he's trying to get through to us, I just need you to be available. That's it. I just need you to be available. I might not even ask you to say anything. Just go stand. Just walk across the room, walk across the road to your neighbor's house. Maybe go serve someone. Oftentimes, that's what the Spirit is trying to convict us of, what he's trying to get our attention on. And so here, this is what the Spirit of God is doing. He's trying to get Philip's attention and just says, just go stand. Just go stand. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. Now, let me take another time out. One of my hopes for those of you that have put your faith and trust in Jesus is that you would begin to grow in your comfortability in being able to talk about him. Because one of the obstacles that we face in the church today is not just telling people, like we see Philip here, keep in mind in this context, like Jesus has just been on scene and left and gone to heaven, now they're watching miracles take place, and so people are starting to go and tell a lot of other people about Jesus, and people are hearing all these stories of these wild things that are happening. Today's a little bit different of a story, because now we have about 2,000 years of church history with us where we have screwed things up. And so now we're not just trying to tell people about Jesus and show people who Jesus is. Now we have to tell people who Jesus isn't. And it makes it a little little bit more difficult for where we're at today. But again, that should not deter us. Our hope is that you continue to grow in the time that you spend with God and his word and through prayer and grow in this comfort of understanding who Jesus is. And so if somebody asks you, hey, what does this mean? You can very easily, without being weird, Just talk about Jesus. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who's the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here's some water. 
what can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Let's have a really honest dialogue. Have you ever wondered why we have to do this? Why do we have to get baptized? Why does God want us to go get in some water, have somebody push us underneath the water, and then pull us back out? Why does it have to be that that represents our willingness to say yes to Jesus? I mean, it's better, let's, let's be honest, better than circumcision, right? I mean, at the end of a service, if I had to say, hey, if you guys can make your way to the back, and if you're ready, put your faith in Jesus, Corey and I are going to have some scissors, and... Is that too far? Did I go? Is that it's here? Went here? Got right? I mean, it is better than circumcision. Uh, and if you're a note taker, circumcision means nothing more than to be set apart. That's what it means in Hebrew, to be set apart. And really, baptism is doing that too. But why? Like, why water? Why are we doing this? It seems so trivial to just go in some water, have somebody push you underneath, and bring you out. Why has that got to be so important? It really doesn't make a lot of sense. Or maybe it does. Let me do this. I'm going to take a different angle to baptism today. Maybe a different angle than you've heard before. And I can get up here and tell you all the spiritual stuff. And I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go more of a physical route and a natural route. And I just want to tell you a few stories about water. But it's critically important that you stay tuned into the stories that I'm going to tell you. Because each of one of, each one of these stories builds on a point that will help, hopefully help you see the spiritual significance of baptism in a new way. Sound good? Story number one. A few weeks ago, um, some of my neighbors and some of the people here at Trace got together and we did some uh, a landscaping project for one of my neighbors. And we just wanted to serve them and so we went over and just got rid of all the, the weeds and stuff and bought some new plants and bushes and, and planted them and it was awesome. It was a nice service project that we were doing, good neighborly thing to do and I was really excited for those of you that participated in that. And at the end of it, I could tell she didn't know a whole lot about uh, horticulture. Now, I pride myself in, in being um, a man of wisdom when it comes to horticulture. Uh, I'm a nerd, man. I'm getting older, and now I'm, like, celebrating horticulture. This is crazy. Um, but uh, I have. I really do. I, everywhere I go, I've lived in three different states, and so I've always learned, like, hey, I just want to learn about different plants and stuff in that particular area. And some of these guys that came from Arizona with me up here will tell you that I used to make them go dig up palm trees in other people's yards that they, people didn't want their palm trees, and I planted 16 palm trees in my backyard in Arizona. It's kind of weird. I get it, but it was just something I wanted to do because I, I wanted as many different species of palm trees in my backyard. And so um, I know you guys are like, this guy's... I get it. Um, so uh, I'm talking with her, and I'm explaining to her the watering schedule. And I said, now listen, when you first transplant something, because it was in a pot, now we're putting it in the ground, it's going to go through what's called transplant shock. And transplant shock means you've got to give it water every single day for about the first three to five days. But then it's critically important that after three to five days, let's just say it's four, after four days, that you don't water the plant. Because if you keep watering it, the plant doesn't have this, this stress on it that makes it send the roots down into the ground in search for water. And so by allowing the ground to dry out around the root system, the plant will automatically begin to grow new roots in search for water. Because water is vital for it to survive. And in the process, the plant becomes a part of the earth. And it sends down new roots into the ground 
so that it can survive. So here, the context would be that water can cause us to put down new roots into our life. Story number two. There's a small canyon on the outskirts of the Grand Canyon. And this canyon is called Havasupai, and people travel to this canyon from around the world. It's owned by an Indian village, and you, ha- you would have no idea that you're in the state of Arizona. It truly is a tropical paradise. And you see this emerald color and blue aqua-type water, and it's because the water runs over all these different types of limestone and travertine. It gives it this beautiful color, and it really it's like a tropical oasis. you got to pay about 70 bucks just to go down and, be a, and have fun in this area, and it's much bigger than this. And it's about an eight-mile hike down into the canyon. And so once you get down in there, you've got canyon walls that surround you. You can't get out. You've got you to hike eight miles out of the canyon to get back out of there. And so you're, you're literally trapped. Well, a few years ago, we went down there. Corey was with me. I think every store I have has Corey in it. That's just kind of what we just do stuff together, don't we? And uh, so we're down there. We're having an incredible time playing in this water. And the waterfalls, it's beautiful. And then a monsoon comes. And it is pouring. And as it's pouring, over these canyon walls starts to pour tons of water from the valley. The desert's above it. And water's pouring into the canyon. And there was a moment when, as the water's pouring over the sides of these canyon walls into this valley, a sun comes out. The sun comes out. And it goes through, just imagine tons of water pouring over both sides. And we're kind of looking down the canyon, as you can see there, and all the water is catching the sunlight. And I'm not joking. We were with believers, and uh, there were some of us that were believers, some of us were unbelievers. And it was so majestic. Like if there was a picture of heaven, it was probably the most majestic, majestic thing I've ever experienced. And we all just stopped. We just stopped. And we just looked. And those of us that were believers said, we got to pray right now. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. But then that quickly went away because we realized the river was rising really, really fast. And you're trapped on either side of that canyon wall. So we start to hightail it up up through the area where we got to get up and get out. And we get up. So imagine two canyon walls. Okay, everybody see me here. Two canyon walls. And we get up to where we get to this edge of the canyon straight up. And we have to cross the river. Now at this point in time, the river is moving so fast and it's already so muddy that we can't even see what's in it. And there's some other people that are in the same situation that we're in. They're not with us. And so what we decide to do is we begin to lock arms and start to make our way across the river. Now, when we start, it's only probably knee-deep. By the time that I get into the middle of the river, and I'm linked up with some girl that's in front of me that I don't even know, uh, and now we're about waist-deep, and the water's completely muddy. And so we're trying to move fast. Now, keep in mind, about 100 yards down that way is a 200-foot waterfall. And so we're making our way across it, and this girl in front of me loses her footing and starts to be swept down the river. Now, I probably should mention that I'm pretty sure she had been drinking and smoking some Colorado cabbage, but pretty obvious. And uh, I immediately jump and grab her arm. And so now I'm out of the chain. And I'm holding this girl, and her legs are flailing down the river, And I'm doing my best to brace myself so that the water's not taking me. And so I'm holding her, and she's going down that way. Everybody else is seeing what's happening. And so they grab a bunch of tree branches, bend them over, and they begin to make a chain coming towards me. And so 
I've got this girl, and I'm looking at him like, hey, you guys got me, and I'm looking at her, hey, I got you, we got to do this together, stay with me, I'm not going to let you go, hold on, come on, stay with me. And so I got this guy, his name's Matt, he's got some tree branches, and so finally I pull her up, and I hand her to Matt, and as I'm doing that, he gets her, and they pull her to safety, and I look, and there's a little waterfall up ahead of me, and I see about a 700-pound log come over the waterfall, and it's heading towards me really, really fast. It might have only been 250 pounds, but let's just go with 700 pounds. (laughs) 750 pound log is coming my direction. This is a true story. And so it's, it's barreling towards me. And now I don't have anything because now I don't have anybody's grip because I, I gave them to her. I gave you know, her to the, the group. And I'm just bracing myself and I'm yelling at everybody, there's a law coming. We gotta get, I got to get out of here. And so they grab the branches again. They're coming my direction. And at the very last second, literally, the log is coming towards me. I jump and grab the guy's hand, and they pull me to safety. Friends, water represents power and force, something that we should never take for granted. Some of the biggest natural disasters in all of the world have to do with water. It can be very dangerous. But water's not always negative, is it? The power of water can give us electricity like what you see here. And sometimes the power of water has the ability to bring the kid out in all of us. Or maybe, as you'll see in this video, the inner ape out in all of us. Check this out. She's a maniac, maniac on the floor, and she's dancing like she's there. Okay, that's enough. That's all you get. All right, quick. All right, that's good. That's good. That's good. You're welcome. You're welcome. They do actually have that online with that song behind it. It is hilarious. You need to go home and watch it. Show your kids. It's good times. Story number three. When I used to be a strength and conditioning coach and fitness professional, I would often get asked one question. Uh, often, it was often the same question. It sounds something like this. Hey, Aaron, if I could make one change, just one change uh, to my life to be healthier and to get more in shape, what, what would you suggest that I do? And my answer was typically, almost always this answer. Drink nothing but water and a lot of it. Your body is, on average, the average body is made up of 72% water. And so your body has to be able to be revived by drinking enough water. And God even created your brain that if you ever are getting close to becoming dehydrated, like the first signs of dehydration are such a threat to the human body, God created your brain to say, store as much water as possible and eliminate or stop the elimination of water from the body meaning that you're not urinating as much as you typically would. Can we just have a moment here? That's the first time I've ever used urination in a sermon. That's kind of a big deal. So, But water is incredibly important. You can go about 21 days without food, but your body can only handle about three to five days without any water. 
Water is incredibly essential, probably the number one. Now, I would say it's the number one essential, essential substance for survival in the human body. Here's a couple other quick facts about water. The majority of life form on earth lives in water. 72% of the earth is covered in water. Isn't that neat? 72% of our body is made up of water. 72% of the earth is made up of water. I think God's just like messing with us, divinely messing with us with stuff like that. The number one thing that makes other planets uninhabitable, um, uninhabitable is a lack of water. And the only thing that saved me the first time I made it to the top of Manitou Incline was water. Got to leave that picture up for a second. Um, for those of you that are like crazy endurance athletes, Nikki Shields, um, I don't want to go hiking with you. Like, I really don't. Because I was with one of those people on this hike, and I, I mean, I'm really close to death here. You really don't know. Like, I am close to death in this moment, but I'm with one of those guys that's like, Richard Simmons gets up to the top. You, you ready? To go to, you want to do it again? You want to do it again? And I'm, I was about to punch him in the face because I'm like, no, I don't want to do it again. I can say I've done it. I'm almost dead. I'm good. I'm good. So if you're like really endurance athlete, just let me know on the head, ahead of time and we won't go hiking together. So let me come back. Let me come back to a question that I originally asked. Why water? What's the big deal about water? Maybe we're able to look at it with a little bit different lens now, can't we? Because it's not what's the big deal about water. Why not water? It makes complete sense to me, guys. Water represents this idea of us being able to create a new foundation by putting new roots in the ground through the waters of baptism. New roots. Searching for the purposes of God in our life. Not what the world wants for us. Searching for the purposes of God. Why water? Because water represents this type of power and force unlike any other. Why water? Water is essential for survival. The human life. Why water? You know, water, when you look at natural disasters, it can wash some debris off the shores. There could be a 700-pound log heading in your direction. And Jesus is saying, I got you. Hang on. We got to do this together. You don't got to do this alone. Friends, the water is of baptism is probably the best thing that Jesus could have ever asked us to do to represent new life in him. So I want to share just a couple other things. Let me jump back to what Philip the Ethiopian said. Look, there's some water. What's keeping me from getting baptized? Right out those doors, right down that hallway, is a big pool full of water. For those of you that have never been baptized, can I just ask that simple question? Look, there's some water. What's keeping you from being baptized? What's keeping you from creating a new root system? What's keeping you from allowing the power and the forces of God to come and take over your life and begin to lead your life? What is keeping you from allowing your life to no longer be your own and accepting the hand of Jesus as he saves you? What's keeping you 
from doing that. And here, here's what I want to end with. And I'm going to tell you something. We're going we're to do something a little bit different today. I have this conversation a lot with people because I'm a pastor. And I, I want to, I just want to be so clear here. Especially, like, if you're here and you're, you're like, man, I'm not getting baptized today. I haven't been baptized. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But did, will you listen to this? Because I've had this conversation so many times. That I just want to make sure that everybody walks out of this room so crystal clear on this one statement. Ready? Fixing your life has never been a prerequisite to getting baptized and giving Jesus your life. But so many people think that that's what they have to do. Hey, I want to get baptized, but let me get my life figured out first. Let 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 me fix some of the stuff in my life. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Grab my hand and let's do this together. Fixing your life was never supposed to be a prerequisite to baptism. The invitation has always been, come just as you are. No strings attached. Here's what I want to do. This morning, as we do every single week, I'm going to invite you to come down, and we're going to celebrate what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. What has given us now the opportunity to grab his hand and no longer have to navigate through the pains and obstacles of this life alone. And that was him giving his very body that was broken for us on the cross and spilling his blood that gives us forgiveness of sins. We celebrate that every week here at Trace, and we do that by coming down to these tables, and I'll invite you to do that here in a minute. And if you're a believer in Christ, we invite you to take one of these crackers that represents his body and dip it in the cup that represents his blood. And remember that by putting your faith in him, you're not doing life alone right now. This is also a time for us to bring our offering for those of you that are partnering with us as we're trying to become one of the most generous churches in this city. Uh, we would invite you to bring your offering at this time as well. Also remember that you can give online. You can set that up if you want to do that. That's how we give. It's sometimes an easier way to give your offerings. So feel free to do that. But then I want to look at some of you and encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, what's keeping you? What's keeping you? You don't got to get your life fixed first. We made that really clear. And so I'm going to pray And then as the band leads us in a song and you guys come down and you respond however it is you're going to respond. You see these towels over here on the side? If you want to be baptized today and you've never been baptized, just pick up a towel. And after you pick up a towel, make your way out to guest services, that table at the bottom of the stairs. We're going to have a conversation with you. We actually have clothes for you, so that's not an excuse. We're going to give you some clothes. And we're going to let yourself, we're going to give you the opportunity to be immersed by the very substance today that represents new life in Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, I I just want to say thanks for giving me this new angle on baptism. Sometimes we get in this role as pastors where we just say the same thing over and over and over again because it's the easiest way to communicate it. And so God, I, I thank you for giving me fresh eyes to look at this a little bit differently. My hope, Lord, is that somebody saw baptism and their need to be baptized in a different way by the conversation and the stories that I shared this morning. And I know because I've had several conversations about this, there are people in here right now that are nervous, scared to death, because they know this is what you want them to do. They're just scared. Father, would you help them to see your extended hand? Would you help them to see that this is not about being super spiritual? It's about submission by handing you the keys to our life and saying, I'm done driving. I'm ready for you to lead. So God, would you give them courage, the kind of courage that can only come from you. And Father, as we celebrate and we remember what happened for us on the cross 
Father, I pray that this is never something that becomes mundane in our lives. That when we take a piece of bread that represents the body of your son, Jesus, and we dip it in a cup that represents his blood, we remember that this is not a fairy tale. This is not a Sunday school lesson. This is an actual event in history that happened so that we could one day enter into eternity with you. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.